If you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter is way towards the end of the New Testament. Like a lot of you, I love this time of year. It's, it's so great when um, we can gather together as a church family on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of Jesus and then all the family celebrations that go along with this special season. And then now, as we're about to start a new year, it's kind of like God is giving each one of us an opportunity to do some self-evaluation, to ask ourselves questions, questions like, how has God been forming you and shaping you over the course of the last 12 months? How have you been growing in your likeness to Jesus? Have you been growing in your likeness to the Savior? I know some of you here this morning can humbly and gladly say, yes, you know, God's been at work in my life these last 12 months, while others of you might be in pretty much the same place spiritually as you were a year ago. I'm thinking even in a group this size, it's likely some of you would admit It's not just that you're stuck, perhaps you're heading in the wrong direction. This morning, I want to assure you that this next year can be different. In fact, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, or how far from God you have run. Our God allows U-turns. And if that's good news for you and the people you know and love, why don't you join with me in giving a, a praise to God. Praise God, right? Friend, this next year can be different. And after we read this passage together, we should all be able to say our loving and gracious and generous God wants it to be different. What's the big idea for today? With all that God has given you in Christ, choose. Choose to live a life that confirms your calling and election as you anticipate your entrance into his eternal kingdom. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with me as we begin reading at verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten 
that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we're not going to do this today, but if you took time to read through this entire epistle, and those of you who uh, are a part of the Project 345 will be doing that, Lord willing, at the end of this coming October. But if you read this entire epistle, you would read Peter warning us that false teachers and false prophets are going to infiltrate the church. And, and these false prophets and false teachers, rather than exalting Jesus Christ in everything, rather than exalting the message of the cross are going to be promoting a message that is false. A destructive and seductive counterfeit message that appeals to the flesh, but in the end will leave those who believe it and embrace it completely unprepared for the coming day of judgment. Well, as is our custom, in your bulletin is an insert that has an outline of this morning's message. And as you'll see, I'm hoping to cover a lot under three main points. And the point number one, first of all, is there is a truth here for you and I to believe. God has made a generous provision to those, to and for those who love his son, okay? God has made a generous provision to all of us who follow Jesus Christ. And church, I hope you include yourself in that description uh, as those who love Jesus. And, And that's because salvation is found in no one else, right? There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, only the name Jesus. And in verse 1, the writer of this letter identifies himself as Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, okay? He's a servant and apostle of Jesus. And I think if we, if we consider that introduction, we would say that's a pretty impressive resume. And I think the tendency for us today is to think that, that Peter and the other apostles had some special advantage faith-wise on account of all the time they spent with Jesus on this side of eternity. And yet, the second half of verse 1 tells us something different. Peter is writing, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So, Peter is saying in God's eyes, those of us who've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, have obtained a faith that's on equal standing with the apostles. And when I consider all that that means, I have to say, wow. You know, God wants you and I to know our right standing with him is not based on the year we were born or the city we grew up in, much less any work of our flesh. Instead, it's based on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, which, again, is a gift. The Bible says that you and I obtain or receive by faith. 
But praise the Lord, there's more to this provision. Verse 3 says, His, and that being God, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. I love that. That is a generous provision. And He's granted these things to us through His divine power. And even that I want you to think about for a moment. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the same power that God the Son used to silence storms and heal the sick. The same power that Ephesians 3 verse 20 says is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can even imagine. And it's the same power that manifests itself in and through the life of every man and woman and young person who has repented of their sins, and placed their faith in Jesus. I know I'm going kind of fast. I I just need to slow down and remind you why we should be so thankful for this provision. You know, God wants you to know that the impact or the influence of his power in your life is not limited to the day of your salvation. It's meant to impact literally every area of our lives as we seek to grow in our love for and our likeness to Jesus Christ. And and you're probably asking yourself, just how does this happen? And the next part of verse 3 tells us, it's through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Listen now, this is important. Our responsibility isn't limited to simply learning more and more information or facts about Jesus, okay? It's more than that. This word knowledge, as it's used in other parts of the Bible, actually implies an intimate knowing or relationship. And, of course, that includes knowing more and more about Jesus, but it also includes growing in our love for him and our willingness to obey him. And as we do grow in our faith what happens is the Holy Spirit helps us become more and more like our Savior. Um, I know some of you, after the Christmas service, wanted to go out and look at Christmas lights, and others of you, after we had the kids' Christmas program, wanted to do the same. I uh, heard a story once of of a family that would do that as part of their Christmas tradition, They'd load everybody up in the car, and they'd drive through the town, and they'd know exactly which neighborhoods to go in to see the most spectacular lights. And, and every year, just before they went home, they would stop to look at a life-size nativity in their community. And uh, one year, as they piled out of the car, uh, a little girl had an observation and a question for her grandma. She says, Grandma... I like all this and everything, but I'm wondering. And her grandma asked her, well, what are you wondering? And she says, I'm wondering why this baby Jesus never grows up. He's the same size every year. Well, of course, you and I know the answer to that question. (laughs) Why Jesus isn't growing. But I wonder about our own faith. As people look at us, what do they see? Do they see someone who's growing in their walk with Christ? Do they see a man or a woman or a young person whose heart attitude is becoming more and more like his? Would Jesus say 
this morning, the two of you are especially close? Well, if right now you're willing to admit that you don't quite have the walk with Jesus that you want to, you can. This next year can be different, but only if you really believe what you say you believe. And that sounds pretty simple, but I say that because what you believe is always going to determine how you choose to behave, okay? Our behavior is reflective of what it is we truly value and believe. So now we're to the second part of the outline. In the next few verses, Peter is going to tell us about a process God has established for you and I to grow in our faith. Verse 4, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. These promises that God has granted are ours to claim. They've been given to us. They've been written down in this book for you and I to appropriate by faith. And then at the beginning of verse 5, God's word says, for this very reason. Meaning, because of all that Jesus Christ has done for you, not just in your salvation, but also in giving everything you need for life and godliness, for this very reason, Peter writes, you and I have a responsibility. And that responsibility begins with these three words. Make every effort. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that church isn't a spectator sport. Your faith isn't meant to be lived out in an armchair. If you're a blood-bought, born-again follower of Jesus, I want you to hear and understand. The Lord has not only redeemed you and given you access to his great and precious promises, he has also given to you a responsibility, okay? A responsibility to work with him. Actually expending lots of energy as you make every effort in cooperation with the Spirit to grow. To grow in your likeness of the one who saved you from your sins. And verses 5, 6, and 7 tells us that you and I are to do that by supplementing or adding to eight very specific characteristics or qualities. That Jesus desires not only to be present in our lives, but growing from month to month and year to year. Second half of verse 5, we see the first of these eight qualities Peter names is faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith. Faith, of course, is more than just believing in something. Biblical faith means you take God at his word. In a book I sometimes use to disciple men, pastor and author Max Anders writes, the Bible makes it clear that everything God asks of us, he asks in order to to give something good to us or to keep some harm from us. Does that make sense? Everything 
I'm going to say it one more time. Everything God asks of us, he asks in order to give something good to us or to keep some harm from us. And if you really believe that, then you can see how foolish it is for us to disregard or disobey his word. Now, as you reflect on this last year, the highlights, the lowlights, the victory, the defeats, I'm guessing the times you decided to not obey Jesus in some area of your life, it was usually because of a breakdown in faith. Perhaps it was that you quit believing, if only for that moment, that your full and joy-filled obedience to Jesus is not only honoring to him, but also in your own best interest. In that same book I just mentioned, the author also says, and I want you to hear this, two of the greatest functions of faith are, number one, to bring about obedience when we believe God's commands, and number two, to bring about peace when we believe his promises. So, are you making every effort to grow in your faith? Are you making every effort? As I was thinking about that question, I I thought about this. Who is it that doesn't want you to grow in your faith? Who doesn't want you to obey God's commands? Who stands the most to lose if you believe in God's promises? I ask you those questions because we need to remind ourselves we're in a spiritual battle. Second of the eight qualities Peter names, verse 5, is virtue. You and I are to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue. We don't use that word very often in the Bible. Virtue usually refers to both the God-given ability to perform heroic and courageous acts and the quality of life that makes someone stand out as excellent or noble. Being virtuous is not just about your attitude, and and it doesn't simply mean you refrain from doing evil. It's connected to the kind of life that you're living. Uh, we're going to put Isaiah 32.8 up here on the big screen, and I'm going to invite you to read this verse out loud with me. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. That's Isaiah again, 32 and 8. Who do you know? Who do you personally know that is living that kind of life? Who's standing out as virtuous or excellent? Who do you know? And I'm going to make it a little bit more personal. When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you see someone who is willing to courageously stand for their faith no matter what? You know, that's part of what it means to live an excellent life, a noble life, a virtuous life. A little over 17 centuries ago, there was a Roman legion stationed in the Egyptian city of Thebes. And over the course of time, every one of the men in this legion became devout and loyal followers of Jesus Christ. And they are remembered even today 
because in the year 286, these soldiers, as one man, refused to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods, even under the order from Diocletian, their emperor. When Diocletian heard of their insubordination, he ordered a decimation. And do you know what a decimation is? We, we know the big, broader definition, but a definition of decimation is for every ten of these soldiers, one would be forced to forfeit his life. Decimation. These soldiers, under the leadership of their brave commander, willingly gave up their weapons and allowed themselves, without a struggle, to be beheaded, rather than saving their lives by denying Jesus. And we don't know all that went on and took place in the conversations these new followers of Jesus Christ were having with one another, but I can't help but believe that they were exhorting each other by repeating some verses Jesus has given to us in the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. This is where he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Diocletian wasn't happy with the results. He sent them another request, asking them to join in the sacrifice. The remaining 90% of the members again refused. So the emperor ordered a second decimation, and then a third. History tells us that at this, at this point, the remaining members of that legion decided to send a letter to the emperor, explaining they could not participate in the sacrifices because of their allegiances to and their love for Jesus Christ and his gospel. Diocletian got that letter, and after much pressure from those who counseled him, he signed the orders that every remaining member of the Theban legion be put to death. And so they were, every last one of them, because of their love for and their loyalty to Jesus. Virtue. Again, God-given ability to perform heroic and courageous deeds and the quality of life that makes someone stand out as excellent or noble. We need to heed their example and our Savior's words. As, As Pastor Jeremy has repeatedly told us over the course of the last several weeks, in the last days, it's going to go from bad to worse when it comes to the persecution of those who hold fast to Jesus. With the Lord's help, we truly will need to make every effort to add virtue to our faith. Next on the qualities listed in this chapter is knowledge. Knowledge, intelligence, full, precise, correct insight. And this one has to do with not only learning truth, but correctly understanding it and then applying it. And this kind of knowledge 
requires at least two things. One is a, is a disciplined study of the Word of God. And, and that's why we're encouraging you to come up with a plan for, for daily Bible reading in 2020. If you already have a plan that you're using and that's helpful, great. But if you need another idea, again, we have some on the table in the foyer. The second requirement is a personal and close relationship with God's Son. I'm sure most all of you remember in John 14, 6, Jesus refers to himself as the truth. And that's why godly wisdom can only be ours after we have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus. We, we need to know him, and then we need to seek and to grow in our knowledge of him. How are you doing at making every effort to grow in your knowledge? Do you recognize the name R.A. Torrey? He was a, a great preacher, Bible teacher from a century ago. At one point, he was the head of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And while he was serving there, he had a man come up to him. And this man complained to Tory that he wasn't able to get anything out of his Bible study. And he said to this great teacher, please tell me how to study so that it will mean something to me. And Dr. Tory responded with a two-word answer. He said, read it. I do read it. Read it some more. How? And then Tori said, take some book and read it 12 times a day for a month. And interestingly for us, Tori recommended 2 Peter. The man who had approached Tori with that simple request later gave this testimony. He said, my wife and I read 2 Peter three or four times in the morning two or three times at noon, and two or three times at dinner. Soon I was talking Second Peter to everyone I met. It seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story of Second Peter. I read Second Peter on my knees, marking passages, teardrops mingled with the crayon colors, and I said to my wife, see how I have ruined this part of my Bible. And she said, yes, but as the pages have been getting black, your life has been getting white. Make every effort. Would would that fit in with what it means to make every effort? You know, one of the problems of this day and age is we want everything right now, and there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. Some things take time. Even the Project 345 plan, as simple as it is, you're setting aside that time every weekday to listen to the Lord speak to you through his word. As we get to verse 6, we see next on our list is the quality of self-control. Self-control. In Bible times, it was used of the strict training that athletes would undergo in order to be their absolute best for competition, as well as the value of controlling the urges and appetites of the flesh. So in part, that could include learning how to say no to putting things into my body that aren't good for me. It could be 
learning to say no to people whose friendships aren't propelling you to a closer walk with Jesus? And how about saying no to treating physical intimacy as anything less than what our God intends it to be? Self-control also means saying no to laziness, lukewarmness, and apathy, which is a a small part of the focus of this winter's Wednesday morning men's ministry. And I'm mentioning that to you, brothers, because this may be a commitment you should make. Again, we start January 15th and we go seven weeks. Let me know if you're interested. Quality number five, steadfastness. Steadfastness. Uh, This is a willingness to view our situation and our circumstances from God's perspective. Knowing that one day Jesus Christ is going to return, bringing salvation to all of us who are waiting for him, and holy and eternal judgment to those who refuse to believe and obey the gospel. Steadfastness. This next year can be different if you're willing to make, the Word of God says, willing to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with the sixth quality on that list, which is also the last listed in verse number six. And this one is godliness. Godliness. To be godly is to live reverently, loyally, obediently towards God. And this, you probably are thinking, sounds a lot like the term righteousness, especially as it's used in Luke chapter 1 to describe Zechariah, father of John the Baptist. You know, this one means in part to be in right relationship, not only with God, but with one another. Inside and outside your family. It's interesting that the, the one thing that, that Peter writes in his other epistle that is going to hinder the prayer of a husband is if he's not in a right relationship with his wife. Question. If you knew this were your last day to live, if you knew you weren't going to make it till tomorrow morning, would you live it any differently? Are there any people that you need to see or any calls you need to make? Perhaps someone you would want to reach out to for, for forgiveness from or to personally forgive. That your relationships be made right. Godliness. Seventh on the list, brotherly affection. This is the middle of verse 7. You know, in the, in the English language, we try to make the word love cover all sorts of different things. And, and this quality of love or brotherly affection comes from the Greek word phileo, which is the same word we get the name Philadelphia from. And, and brothers and sisters, when the church is functioning as a family of family family of families, you and I rightly relate to each other as members of this family. 
In 1 John 4, verse 20, the Bible says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother, which leads right into the eighth and final quality in Peter's list, and that is love. Agape love, not a romantic or emotional love. This is the kind of love that always puts others first. This is the kind of love that always seeks the highest good of the person on the receiving end of that love. This kind of love is often costly and extravagant. And of course, this kind of love was best expressed when Jesus Christ went to the cross in our place as our substitute. Romans 5 and 8 is up on the big screen. Again, I'm going to invite you to read it out loud with me. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that. Isn't that encouraging? He didn't say, get your act together and maybe I'll think about saving you. He didn't say, earn or merit my love or favor. But while we were sinners, he chose to die for us and our sins. I love that reminder. In our culture, we tend to define love as an emotion, as something we we feel. But look through the scripture time and time again. You see love is, is also an action word. And, and Jesus says you and I demonstrate our love for him through our actions or more literally by, by simply keeping his commands. I sometimes ask uh, uh, questions that cause us to think a little bit harder, a little bit differently. Um, I asked you uh, one other Sunday when I was in the pulpit, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How about this? If you were accused of loving your brothers and sisters in this church family, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Who are the men and women who would vouch for you, who've seen your love in action, who perhaps you have chosen to honor and esteem? as more important as yourself. Are you joyfully participating with the Lord in this process of growth? Or, truth be told, do you find yourself investing in many other pursuits that keep you from realizing all that Christ intends for you? Again, Peter writes, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And now to the final part of the message. We see that God also makes to us a gracious promise. God helps us to see what benefit we gain from putting these words into practice which give us an even greater incentive to believe and obey his word. Verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. I was having a little bit of a challenge figuring out how I would communicate this last part to you. So we came up with this grid on the bottom of your sermon outline. And and if we do some quick comparing and contrasting with what we don't get or what we do get, we get an even more complete picture of why it is in our best interest to make this next year different. In verse 8, Peter says, if you don't put these words into practice, you are going to be ineffective. Well, he doesn't talk about the flip side, but what is the opposite of being ineffective? It's to be effective. So effectiveness is one of the results. God can use you in a way that's going to have a positive impact on others. You're going to be effective. In, in verse 8, he also speaks about those that don't put this into practice are going to be unfruitful. And what's the opposite of being unfruitful? Fruitfulness, yeah. In verse 9, uh, he says, if you don't put these words in the, into practice, you're going to lack discernment. You're going to be so nearsighted that you're almost blind. And I think what this is getting at, if we don't understand God's word and his perspective... We get into this trap where we can only see as far as our circumstance or our situation. And and the flip side of that would be developing an eternal perspective. We can, because we know God is working all things for the good of those who love him, we can trust him in spite of what we see. Second half of verse 9 tells us that those that don't put this into practice... Uh, get a little bit forgetful. And, and I summarize that with the words, fail to treasure Christ. And, and this is a person that forgets all that Jesus has done to enable them to be forgiven or cleansed from their past sins. What's the opposite of that? A people, a church family, an individual who is filled with gratitude for the gospel. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves all throughout the year. You know, if God simply treated me, your pastor, as my sins deserve, where would I be consigned to spend all of eternity? I would be on a one-way road to hell. If God gave me what I deserve, I only deserve his judgment, his wrath. But God is so gracious and loving and kind, and Jesus stepped into the gap and received in himself the penalty for my sin and your sin and everyone who's humble enough to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. God is so honored by that act of faith that he chooses to count our faith as righteousness. And at that point, he gives us what we need, forgiveness, not what we deserve, which is condemnation. And that truth fills us, ought to fill us with gratitude each and every hour of each and every day. And finally, 
Verse 10. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for you. If you practice these qualities, this is a great guarantee, great promise. You will never fall. Never fall. Ever. God instead will give you the ability to persevere. And the flip side of that, the way I'm saying it on that graph is, if, if you don't continue to grow in your likeness to Jesus, you begin to exalt yourself and your safety as number one in your life. And it makes you more susceptible to persecution. As I invite the worship team to come forward, I'm going to have you look a little bit more at that slide or your outline and ask yourself the question, where are you? Where are you in that comparison? Are you someone whose faith is growing and as a result, others can see effectiveness and fruitfulness and an eternal perspective, gratitude for the gospel, an ability to persevere? Or perhaps are you in that first column? I ask you that question because it's important that you understand that what you believe is going to determine how you behave. The promises that God gives us in this section of Scripture, the promises of being effective and fruitful are conditional. None of us receive them unless we participate with God in working out our salvation. And Lord, that's what we want to do. I I hope everybody here has that for their desire. That we can purpose in our heart with your Spirit's help to make sure this next year is different. That we don't have to stay stuck in a rut, unable to get going one direction or another, but when we fully depend on you and obey your word, you can help us get from where we're at a little bit closer for where you intend us to be. But Jesus, we know that we can't do that apart from you. So give us eyes to see as you see. Give us hearts desiring to honor you above all things. Make us as a church determined to be molded by your word and motivated by your glory as together we make disciples throughout your world. Not that people think much of us or our church family, but people are amazed and give thanks and praise and glory to you. We pray it together in your name. Amen.